two questions to begin with. Uh, who is the Lord Jesus to you? Who is the Lord Jesus to you? And I imagine uh, that we might be challenged this morning uh, as to whether our view of the Lord Jesus is big enough for who he actually is. Who is the Lord Jesus to you? And then secondly, how much of your life is governed by self-giving? If you think through last week or this coming week, how much of your life is governed uh, through by self-giving? Uh, hopefully we will have some uh, healthy and nourishing answers to those questions uh, as we work through these verses. Who is Jesus to you? Is he big enough? And how much of your life is governed by self-giving? Uh, to get into the passage, we're going to go right back to the beginning of the Bible. You'll remember a chap called Adam, uh, right at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, and one of his jobs was to tame the wild animals, to, or to, to rule over the whole of creation, uh, to be uh, in dominion over uh, the beasts and the animals and the whole of creation. And of course he, as we were learning last week, he famously failed to do this, particularly over the serpent. The serpent who came and tempted him not to live the way that God had called him to. And so the serpent held dominion over Adam and Eve. And as sin and Satan, as the, the serpent is, uh, as sin and Satan got a grip on the world... One of the ways the Bible describes the nations is as untamed beasts, lions and bears and, and these kinds uh, of things. Because the serpent beast was not, uh, Adam did not rule over, this, over the serpent. So as sin and Satan get a grip on the world, so uh, the pagan nations are depicted as untamed Beasts holding sway over God's people. That's what the pagan nations do so often uh, in the scriptures and today. Holding sway over God's people. Uh, what Peter declares so famously in these verses, where Jesus says, who do, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, verse 16, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. In these verses, Peter declares that Jesus is the, is the great conquering king. Remember, even back in the Garden of Eden, there was the promise of a serpent crusher. And it wasn't Jeremiah uh, as one of the suggestions is in verse 14, as other people were saying, not one of the other prophets, not Elijah, not John the Baptist. They were all great. <coughs> they are very great people. But a step above them is the man standing in front of Simon Peter, the Lord Jesus. 
He is the great conquering king. He is the great beast tamer. And that's why it's so important that Jesus introduces the question by saying, who do people say the Son of Man is? Because the Son of Man, or literally, if you like, the Son of Adam, the new Adam, is the one who will conquer and tame all the beasts, be they nations or even Satan himself. And if you know where the phrase comes from, Son of Man, it comes from Daniel chapter 7, where explicitly the nations of the pagan nations are set up as wild beasts. And yet it's the Son of Man who overcomes them. Uh, we read this in chapter 7 of Daniel. Uh, in Daniel's vision uh, I, at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. This is a vision of the heavenly throne room. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Either side of that is all the, the imagery of the great nations, uh, the great pagan nations of the world as bears and lions and, and other uh, wild beasts. And it is the Son of Man who will bring them under his rule and restore all things. So he's clearly a step above Jeremiah and John the Baptist. They did some great things, but they didn't do that. And so Jesus tightens, points the question pointedly to Peter himself. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter says, yes, you are that one. You are the great beast tamer. Yes, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This great son of man who would rule over all things and have a dominion that would never pass away would come from the people of Israel, would be the anointed one from amongst Israel, would be David's greatest son, great David's greatest son. The Messiah, the anointed one, that's what that means, the Christ, the son of the living God. The great Davidic king would be the great son of man. This is who Jesus is standing in front of Simon Peter. It's interesting that this whole conversation takes place in the region of Caesarea Philippi. In the Bible, the pagan nations are all in the north. Well, this is the most northerly point that Jesus goes in Matthew's Gospel. And the place where he is is Caesarea Philippi. That is a city dedicated to Roman paganism. He's in the heart of the pagan nations and he declares himself to be the Son of Man, the final world emperor. There will not be another ruler after him because his rule and dominion will never pass away. 
and he will rule over all peoples and uh, all nations and peoples of all languages, as Daniel said. He will have overcome every enemy, every uh, wild rebellion against God. Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I wonder who Jesus is to you and whether he's that big. When you think of all the nations uh, of the world down the centuries, all the rebellion against God. And what we're reading here is that the salvation of the world will be built on a single person, the Lord Jesus. Who is he to you? The salvation of the world will be built on a single person, Jesus, but that single person will build a people around himself. And through, um, and these people around himself will be the people who confess that he is this great conquering king of God. That's the characteristic of the people who are built around him. First, of course, Christ is at the centre. He is the one. Peter is then the first to be built in, if you like. Um, he's the first to confess, yes, Jesus, you are this great conquering king. Uh, the other apostles will form a foundation around this Lord Jesus. And all believers like you and me will be added to this building around the Lord Jesus on the foundation of the apostles' testimony. Uh, the building that Christ is building. See, the Christian faith is not built around an idea or a few ideas. Uh, or some propositions. The Christian faith is built around a person and the only person worth building around, the Son of Man, the great conqueror of all that is against God. People who know this person are built together on the foundation of the apostles now we know that's that this is what is happening because um, of verses 17 to 20 we know this is what is happening in and around Christ and because it's what's good it's what God himself is doing it's what the father is doing verse 17 Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. The Father had brought in Peter as the first stone placed around Jesus, the cornerstone, the first stone in the building. Peter is the first to see and confess that Jesus is the one. The other apostles would come and form similar foundation stones. God would do that. He would open their eyes 
And so the building is begun of those who gather around this Jesus. The Father is opening eyes to see Jesus, to see him as the great conquering king, the single person on whom the salvation of the world is built. We know that's what's happening because that's what the Father is doing. Um, in verse uh, 18, it's what Jesus himself is doing. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, Peter means rock, I, will, I Jesus says, will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. From this foundation, many stones will be added. Um, I'm going to jump between the pictures of uh, a building made of stone and a nation made of people. I'm talking about the same thing, but it's around this Christ. From this foundation, uh, the Father giving the, the apostles sight of who Jesus is, this great Son of Man. So Jesus will build his church. Many people will be added. Many will see who the Lord Jesus is. The church, in the word in its simplest, is simply means a gathering. But it is a, it is a gathering of people who make declarations and they set a course and a body of people with authority to live a particular way. Uh, Jesus gives his people authority to live in a particular way. They know him and they live his way in his nation. And death and Hades, that's the place of the dead, and the powers of evil, Jesus says, death and, and all those things, um, they, can get, they can all get together and make whatever declarations they like. They can make whatever claim they want on various people. They can make claims against us, Jesus says, but it will hold no power at all. I tell you, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Because on the foundation of the apostles, Jesus is gathering a people to himself, to the nation, uh, the kingdom where every enemy of God is overcome. And so nothing that death or the powers of evil claim can have any hold over those who are part of this building, this people, that Christ is forming. He's gathering a people to himself. And because every enemy and every beast is overcome, every tear is wiped away in the end. And there will be no more death, mourning, crying or pain. And that will be the case forever because there's no ruler who comes after the Lord Jesus Christ. See, the Father is building this salvation by opening people's eyes and setting a foundation. And Christ is uh, building this people 
as people come to him and see him and, and escape all the powers of death and hell and crying and pain. And it's also what Peter and the rest of the apostles are doing as well. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. As the Son of Man has returned, ascended back to his Father in heaven, so Peter and the apostles, in the power of the Spirit, hold the keys to this eternal palace. The palace of God's kingdom and salvation. The apostles are the doorkeepers. They're in charge of admittance or exclusion. There's no way into the building other than standing on the foundation of the apostles. We can't be part of God's salvation if we ignore the apostles. That's what Jesus is teaching here. They police the faith and they still do. That's why we take, I'm as simple as this, isn't it? That's why we take Matthew's gospel, why we look at it so carefully and take it so seriously. That's why we do that for the whole of the New Testament. And when you do that for the whole of the New Testament, you realise you have to do that for the whole of the Old Testament as well. And so the gatekeepers, the apostles and the prophets, fulfil their role as given here by Jesus. So the Father opens eyes to see the Lord Jesus. Jesus gathers people on that same foundation of who he is. And it's the apostles' teaching that grants us access or not to the Son of Man's kingdom. Because salvation, the salvation of the world is built around a single person, the Lord Jesus. The Father opened the eyes of the apostles to see that, to see him. So there was a foundation around Jesus on which the whole kingdom of heaven is built unassailable by death or any of the enemies of God for all those who will take their stand with the apostles around Jesus. If we reject the apostles, we remain bound and enslaved under the rule of sin and death. So what all the people in this building, in this palace, in this nation, whatever image you want to use here, Jesus uses them all. Um, what all these people have in common is that they confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Son of Man, the great conquering King, the tamer of all beasts, the destroyer of death, the final and everlasting world ruler, never to be succeeded. So are you in or out of the building? Who do you say Jesus is? Salvation is not built around a few ideas, it's built around him. Who is he to you? And when I asked you that question at the beginning, did you have a big enough picture of who he is. 
The way forward's easy for all of us. Asking the Father to open our eyes some more. Seeking out the Lord Jesus and coming to him as he has invited us. Come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Immerse yourself in listening to the apostles. It's of first importance to make sure that we are in this building, this nation, this people, the place of salvation under the Lord Jesus Christ. That is of first importance because otherwise we still remain under the rule of the untamed serpent. And death and Hades have every... Uh, they hold sway over us completely unless we confess that Jesus Christ is the Messiah the Son of the living God who is he to you well I'm guessing Peter must have been thrilled I mean, he must have been thrilled. He's worked it out. The father's opened his eyes. Jesus says, who am I? And Peter says, you are the great world conqueror. We are home now that you have come. The victorious conqueror is here. Peter must have been in that kind of, this is it. Yeah, Jeremiah was great, but you're greater. And Jesus immediately somewhat confuses him. Verse 21. Uh, From that time Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Peter tempts Jesus to seize the kingdom without the cross, without his death. Uh, Just like Satan did back in Matthew chapter 4 in the wilderness, uh, Satan said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you just bear down and worship me. Peter tempts him the same way to have the kingdom without the cross. And Jesus says, well, no, no, my kingdom will come, but it will come God's way. It will come by my death, and on the third day I will rise again. You can understand Peter, can't you? Peter's just worked out who this glorious, great, unsurpassed Lord Jesus is. And so for Peter, the preservation of Jesus is now everything. He's the conquering king. If you lose him, you lose everything. The the preservation of Jesus is everything to Peter at this point. And so verse 22, this shall never happen to you.
to you. It's like a divine decree. This is so important. It must never, it shall never happen to you. But Peter doesn't understand yet the kind of God that he is serving. Because whilst Peter thinks the preservation of Jesus is everything, God thinks the self-giving of Jesus is everything. This is the contrast in verse 23 between the concerns of God and human concerns. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're tempting me. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Because God's victory, God's concern, God's way will come by the self-giving of God himself, the son of the living God. That's how God does everything, as it happens, by self-giving. It's in the memory verse, God so loved the world that he gave. He freely gives of his spirit. Salvation is all through God's self-giving. And Peter thinks the preservation of Jesus is everything and God thinks the self-giving of Jesus to death is everything. That is the way that Jesus must follow. Now that means that any version of Christianity that diminishes or sidelines the death of Jesus completely misunderstands God. Not just misunderstands the way God did things, but misunderstands God himself. That God is a God of self-giving. That's why we say God is love. Because love is self-giving. Any version of Christianity that diminishes and sidelines the death of Jesus completely misses, misrepresents and misunderstands God. And a generation or so, probably less, later, such a message will end up focused on human concerns and not on God's concerns. If we leave the cross behind, we in effect leave the building. And if that's the way of the king himself, then in verses 24 to 28, it's also the way of anyone who follows him as king. Anyone who's part of his building, his nation, his people, his kingdom, anyone who's had their eyes opened, anyone who follows him, must have God's interests at heart. God's interests, self-giving in death, denying self, taking up cross. Jesus speaks, doesn't he? Whoever wants to be my disciple must just be like me, must deny themselves and take up their cross. They must follow me. 
Denying our own interests, our own plans, our own programs, our own ideas. Rather, live a life of self-giving. Man's interests, of course, are all about self-preservation. I wonder how much of your life is governed by self-preservation. Dodging bullets. I did well to dodge that bullet. Just being canny enough to make sure that um, the future is secure enough and it's all in order. Uh, Defence is in place so that it's not threatened. And so we order our lives and we organise everything and we live and we make our decisions and we spend our money and we do what we do and it's all about self-preservation. Well, the whole nation that's built around this Jesus ought to look like a completely weird body of people who are only interested in self-giving. See how distinctive that would be? That would be unlike any other nation on earth. To be a nation of those who give themselves rather than preserve themselves. That's what Jesus, that's, the, that's, that's Jesus' path. No one could describe Jesus' path as the path of self-preservation but of self-giving. It'll likely look ridiculous in the eyes of the world. It might even look more like self-destruction, give, 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 than self-preservation that the world so loves. It'll look weak and odd and foolish. But that's exactly how Jesus looked in Peter's eyes. When Jesus said, I've got to suffer and die, Peter rebukes him, never. This shall never happen to you. So the question comes to us, doesn't it, that we started with, how much of your life is governed by self-giving? Or how much of our life is actually governed by self-preservation? So they're the two key questions. Are you in the building? Have you recognised the Lord Jesus for who he is? And are you living like you're in the building? Self-giving as the pattern of Jesus. You might want to ask me if it's worth it. Well, Jesus tells us it's worth it, doesn't he? Uh, it's actually to lose our life like this is to save it. And even if we managed to save it, we wouldn't be able to buy anything with it anyway, so we'd lose. Whoever wants to save, verse 25, uh, 3, 25, 25. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And here's the real encouragement. For the Son of Man, that great conquering king, the one who 
subjects uh, all the enemies of God under his feet. The one who brings in salvation forever. The one after whom there is no successor. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Anyone who has come to him and become part of the building that he's building, anyone who has lost their life for him and for his sake, he will vindicate us when he comes as the great son of man. And while it might have felt like death along the way as we deny ourselves and take up his cross, confessing Jesus as king and having a life governed by self-giving in his name is life and he will come and he will vindicate us and take us to glory with himself forever. It's definitely worth it. It's actually the way the universe that God made works. So who is he to you? Is he big enough to you? Big enough so that you can entirely be, be entirely self-giving for our whole lives, knowing that he will come and vindicate that when he returns. How much will your life be governed by self-giving? When you think of your interests, his or yours? Your plans, his or yours? Your ideas, his or yours?